Psalm 4 is actually pretty similar to Psalm 3, which we, we went through last week. Psalm 3 and Psalm 4, they're both lament psalms. Like most lament psalms, uh, Psalm 3 and 4, they begin, if you look at it, with bringing complaints and troubles to God. Both in the middle section of Psalm 3 and 4, we're moved uh, through looking at who God is from complaint to confidence, from fear to faith, from worry to worship. And at the end of both of these psalms, the psalmist can finally rest. He has confidence that God is with him in the middle of his troubles. But something interesting happens in Psalm 4, which will actually come up over and over again as we go through the psalms, and that is who the psalmist begins to address. Who is being addressed in David's prayers, how they're being addressed, is actually quite interesting when you look at Psalm 4. Most obviously, when we look at Psalm 4, we see that the psalm is being addressed to God, right? This is David's prayer uh, made to God. If you look at the title of the psalm, it's a psalm of David. Uh, The second target of address is other worshipers. If you look at, again, the title of the superscription of the psalm, it is to the choir master with stringed instruments. And so this psalm, Psalm 4, like many of the psalms, is meant to be sung in corporate worship, led by a choir master. God's people would sing this song together. And so these words are not only words directed to God, but they're words directed to each other. They're words that we are given to encourage and to challenge and to bless each other with in the context of worship. So the psalms aren't simply my own private prayers that I pray within my own private heart, but they're rather prayers that belong to you too and are meant to sing them and, and to pray them for you. So the Psalm 4 is addressed both to God, uh, addressed to other uh, believers, but third, and interestingly, this psalm is also addressed to the psalmist's enemies and opponents. From verses 2 through 6, David addresses those who are antagonistic to him, those who are bothering him. He counsels and he challenges them. He has words for them. He rebukes them. He even calls for their repentance and urges their faith in God. This might seem like a strange thing for a king like David or for God's people to address their enemies in prayer. Uh, It might seem odd to you as you begin to pray a psalm like Psalm 4. But again, the psalms are the songs of the maturing Christian life. God teaches us how we ought to pray through these psalms, how we ought to worship him. Uh, It would be a little arrogant, I think, of us to think, like, oh, I'm just, I'm naturally good at prayer. I don't need any direction or any help, but I got this. The way I pray is the way it should be done. Uh, But this is what God is doing as we go through Psalm 4. He's surprising us. He's stretching us and showing us how we ought to commune with him, how we ought to pray to him. Here's a summary of Psalm 4. If you want to write it down, just an idea for you to stick with as you think of Psalm 4, uh, this is it. God gives you rest as you listen to his voice and silence unruly ones. God gives his people rest as they do two things, as they listen to his voice, but also as they silence unruly, antagonistic voices. We can divide Psalm 4 into four parts, that's what we'll do, and this is part one. Part one is importunate prayer. Importunate prayer. Importunate is a real word, you don't need to worry about it, you can trust me on this, okay? It's a real word, Uh, that I came across a couple times this week in my studying, and so I wanted to use it, not so I sounded smart, but because I think it's a fantastic word. Importunate means doing something persistently to the point it almost seems like you're being harassing. It's doing something with like a troublesome urgency. Uh, You know, if you were to watch somebody praying importunately or offering importunate prayers, you would think they are being overly persistent, like they're being a bit much in the way that they're demanding things. And this is what we find in Psalm 4 and many of the Psalms. 
God wants his children to be importunate with their prayers. Not casual, not easygoing, not firing off one. They, God wants the tone of your prayers, especially when you're in distress, when you have any kind of trouble in your life, to be persistent, demanding, forceful, importunate. Uh, if you look at verse 1, there are actually four imperatives, or they have the force of imperatives. Uh, these are uh, calls to action, where the psalmist is directing commands, it seems, to God Almighty. Look at, look at verse 1. He's saying, answer me when I call. Give me relief. Be gracious. Be merciful. Hear my prayer. When you're in distress, when, when, when there are issues in your life, do your prayers begin like this? We're all polite Canadians, and so somehow I doubt that's what's going on. I doubt you are as forceful as Psalm 4 is. Most people's prayers, I think, sound like conversations they're having with someone that they don't know very well, right? Or somebody that you just met. You, you, you don't demand or persist things from, from strangers. Rather, you address them in, in pleasant nothings, right? Hi, how are you? I'm doing well. You seem great. Talk to you later. <laughs> and that's kind of where it ends. We keep our prayers short. Polite, very pleasant, very surfacy. We don't want to go too deep. But God here is instructing his people, especially his people who are in need of relief, uh, who are in distress of various kinds, that importunate prayers, prayers that demand of God action and help, are welcomed by God. They are invited from God. They're solicited by God. Sometimes people can grow weary uh, of importunate requests from their kids, right? If you're a parent, uh, to have somebody say, dad, 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 you know, doing everything they can to get your attention. But this isn't the case with God. He is the perfect father. He is perfectly patient. He's perfectly available for you. Perfectly present. Perfectly powerful. Jesus, uh, when he taught on prayer, he, he asked his disciples, he asked rhetorically, if you then, you then who are evil, if you know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father who is in heaven give good things to those who ask him? And so we need to think this way as we offer prayers to God. God is our perfect heavenly Father. And so we should approach him like his dearly loved kids. Jesus wants us to always pray and never to lose heart. To trust that our Father cares for us. That his attention is on us. Do you hear in this psalm, when you look at Psalm 4, your Heavenly Father inviting you to pray like this? Inviting you to offer to Him importunate prayers when you're in need. God is speaking to you. He is speaking to you this morning. Uh, he's speaking to you as your Father who loves you, who wants you to pray to Him like this. God is for you. Maybe that's something you need to hear. God is for you and He wants you to come to Him. It is His good pleasure to have His children come to Him persistently, with urgency, importunately. Because God gives rest to you as you listen to his voice and silence unruly ones. And it's what Jesus has come. He's come to restore this kind of relationship with God so that we can cry to him, Abba, Father. We can know God with this level of intimacy, with, with firing off importunate prayers at all hours of the day, trusting that God, far from being annoyed, being bothered by us, is the one himself who teaches his children to pray this way. So that's part one, importunate prayers. Part two is offensive prayers. 
offensive prayers. I need to be careful with the way that I say it, because at some point I'm going to say offensive prayers. I don't mean that. I mean offensive prayers. So not, not offensive. I'm not saying pray rude, repulsive, or insulting prayer. I mean prayer that's on the offense. So like in sports, uh, when, when you're on the attack, you've got the ball, you're trying to score points. You're not sitting on your heels and reacting to whatever is happening in front of you, but you're being aggressive. You're being assertive. And Psalm 4 teaches us teaches us that maturing prayer is offensive prayer. Importunate prayers, uh, you can see in in, in verse 1, they are directed to God our Father, but offensive prayers are actually addressed to our enemies. They're they're addressed to our adversaries, to those who oppose us. If you look at the beginning of verse 2, David begins to address a group of unknown opponents. In verse 2, he calls them O men, which some translations have it as O men of rank, or ye sons of men, this is, this is likely an address to people of like higher ranking than, than somebody like me, somebody who's more noble or kingly. Um, whoever these opponents are, they're heavy hitters. Uh, they're well equipped to cause David you know, maximal distress and trouble. Even though David is king, these are people, these are foes to be reckoned with. In verse 2, he asks them a couple of questions. David asks them how long they'll continue to turn his honor into shame. It seems that these, uh, these men are uh, questioning or they're denying David's royal authority, his rank. Uh, they mock and they insult God's own chosen king. If you remember in Psalm 2, this is already a theme that's present in the Psalms. In Psalm 2, uh, the psalmist asks, you know, why do the kings and rulers counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, let us burst their bonds apart and cast their cords away from us? Uh, those who want to be their own masters, uh, they want to be their own lord, they want to be in control of their own life, they chafe at the Lord and, and his anointed. Because if God is king, that means they're not. If, if God is the one who has ultimate authority, that means we don't. And so David asks them, how long are you going to persist this way? Do you not know that God is king? How long will you continue to rebel and to reject the Lord's anointed and the Lord himself? If you keep on looking down, he asks them a few more questions. He asks, how long they'll love vain words and seek after lies. These people seem to be shouting worthless lies all day long, and they love it. Uh, they, can, they can keep this going all day long. And so David's forced to ask, how long will you keep this up? How long will you continue this way? It's draining to David. It's troubling. These are voices that won't stop. And of course, this kind of ongoing troublemaking is wearying and it's distressing. And maybe you share something similar with David. And so the question for you is, what voices in your life trouble you? What voices will not leave you alone? What, what voices come to you in the middle of the night and you wonder to yourself, how long? How long do I have to put up with this? Perhaps you're troubled with the way things are going in our world or you know, in our city or in your workplace. You, know, you see opponents to King Jesus, to Christians, or, or innocent people around you. You see wars, you see wickedness, you see uh, all kinds of quarreling, and, and this troubles you and it won't give you rest. You think about it over and over and over again, and it takes away your joy, it takes away your hope. Perhaps the voice is of, of an actual person, someone extremely negative or hurtful in your life, whose words have the effect of just dogging you all day long. You think about things that they've spoken to you, uh, in the distant past or more recently, things they've texted you or emailed you. And, and these words, they just follow you around like a cloud. Or it could even be a version of your own voice, a, a voice of worry, uh, agonizing over a health issue, money problems, 
broken relationships, a deep pain, sin, addiction of some sort. And this voice speaks to you all the time. You know what I'm talking about. What do you do when these voices persist? How do you handle them? How can you find rest in the middle of these situations? God gives you rest as you listen to his voice and silence unruly ones. What David does in response to all these voices is he goes on the offense. He engages in offensive prayer. In verses 3 through 5, instead of dwelling on his enemies' threats and troublemaking, he challenges them to stop speaking lies and to begin to believe and to act rightly. There are seven more imperatives in verses 3 through 5, seven more calls to action that David goes on the offensive within his prayers, and he tells his enemies to change their ways. We'll look at all seven really quickly. So if you look in verse 3, there's the first one. He tells his enemies to know. He calls them to know. To know that God is, in fact, on David's side, despite what they say. God has set David apart for himself, and David knows that he is the chosen and special object of God's love. When voices tell David, God has abandoned you, that God's no longer interested in you, David, David responds in faith by speaking, the Lord hears when I call him. David tells his enemies, be silent. God knows me, God hears me. In verse 4, if you look at it, there are four more commands that David speaks to his enemies. He tells them, be angry, do not sin, ponder in your heart, be silent. He tells his enemies who are hot-headed, angry with David, that their extreme emotions, which are hard to control, um, they must not allow them to drag, they must not be allowed to drag them into sin. Be angry, David says to them, but do not sin. Instead of letting their mouths write checks that their souls can't cash, he tells them instead to meditate and to ponder their fury in the privacy of their own homes. Keep this, keep this private. Sleep on things. Be silent. Don't rage loudly. And so David goes on the offensive. He tells his enemies, be silent. You're speaking from anger. And that leads to sin and to death. In verse 5, he gives uh, the sixth and seventh commands to his opponents. He tells them to offer right sacrifices and to put their trust in God. He tells his enemies, he tells them that you're lost. You're without hope. Your hearts are rotten and they're separated from God. And so you are in need, my enemies, of forgiveness and healing and restoration. And so he counsels them to, to make sacrifices to God, make right sacrifices to God from the heart. This is a way of, of humbly and sincerely uh, sincerely asking for God's mercy and help. And so David tells his enemies, be silent, turn to God, trust in him. This is offensive prayer. It's being shown to you today in Psalm 4 so that you can begin to pray like this whenever you're in distress. When you feel alone and hurt and voices are telling you that God is not good, he's not good to you. He doesn't care, no one cares. And, and you begin to be filled with worry and fear, you're called to pray offensive prayers. You're, you're called to say, be silent. God knows me, and he hears me. When you're antagonized by, by voices of bitterness and envy, you, you resent what God has given to others and not to you, and you begin to doubt his love, you're called to pray an offensive prayer. Be silent. You're speaking from anger, and that leads to sin. When your sin haunts you, 
And you, you can't shake the shame and the guilt for the things that you've done. You cannot believe that God would forgive somebody like you who, who has ongoing, persistent sin. Go on the offensive and pray, be silent, turn to God, and trust in Him. There's a British minister named Martin Lloyd-Jones, and he, he calls this distress that David was going through in many of the lament songs, what many of us go through, he calls it spiritual depression. When the voices around you are so loud that your faith begins to feel thin and, and weak. And so this is a quote uh, from, from uh, Lloyd-Jones. It's kind of long, but it's a great one. This is what he writes. The main trouble in this whole matter of spiritual depression, in a sense, is this. That we allow ourselves to talk to us instead of talking to ourselves. Am I just being, am I just trying to be deliberately paradoxical? Far from it. This is the very essence of wisdom in this matter. Have you realized that most of your unhappiness in life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself? Take those thoughts that come to you uh, the moment you wake up in the morning. You have not originated them, but they start talking to you. They bring back the problem of yesterday. Somebody is talking. Who is talking to you? Yourself is talking to you. And this is how David in the Psalms treated things. Instead of allowing this self to talk to him, he starts talking to himself. Why art thou cast down, O my soul? David asks. His soul has been repressing him, crushing him. So he stands up and says, Self, listen for a moment. I will speak to you. The main art in the matter of spiritual living is to know how to handle yourself. You have to take yourself in hand. You have to address yourself. Preach to yourself. Question yourself. You must say to your soul, why art thou cast down? What business have you to be disquieted? You must turn and say to yourself, hope thou in God, instead of muttering in this depressed, unhappy way. And then you must go on to remind yourself of God, who God is and what God is and what God has done and what God has pledged himself to do. Then having done that, end on this great note, defy yourself and defy other people and defy the devil and the whole world and say with David in Psalm 42, Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation of my God. Listen, most of the unhappiness in your life is due to the fact that you are listening to yourself instead of talking to yourself. So begin this practice in prayer. Instead of just listening to yourself, preach to yourself. Defy yourself. Defy your enemies. Defy your own heart. Defy the devil. Go on the offensive with your prayer. This isn't positive self-talk that I'm talking about. It's not looking in the mirror and saying, girl, you're enough. It's not, it's not looking in the mirror and saying, many of the guys probably don't say that, uh, saying, you're good enough, you're smart enough, and doggone it, people like you. It's, it's not that, all right? Puffing yourself up with pride to silence the voices of your enemies is like jumping out of the frying pan into the fire, right? You're replacing one danger to your soul with potentially a far worse danger. David instead counsels in Psalm 4, God gives you rest as you listen to his voice. What he says is true. And as you silence unruly voices. So part one and two, importunate prayers, offensive prayers, Part three, restful prayer. Restful prayer. If you look at verses six through eight, David finally gets to enjoy the rest that God gives. He turns his prayers 
away from his enemies and back to his God. In verse 6, he asks for God's presence and peace to invade his heart. Many say, who will show us some good? Where can we find peace and help and joy? David knows where it's found. It's found as God's face shines on him. This is not just knowing things about God. This isn't referring to uh, raw religious belief and facts. But it is when God's personal goodness and presence is felt, is finally experienced by your heart in the middle of your distress through the power of the Spirit. Verse 7, David rests. If you look at verse 7, he rests in knowing that God is enough. No matter what his current experiences are, or if his enemies seem to triumph for the moment, uh, to enjoy a life that David isn't, as they insult David, David knows this. Look at verse 7. You, God, you have put more joy in my heart than they have when their grain and wine abound. David believes that everything, everything, everything he could want or imagine without Jesus is nothing. But Jesus, plus even lack or trouble, that's true joy. That is enough. God's people, of course, we, we have needs and wants. Um, but in verse 7, we see David rightly ordering his needs and wants. Of course, we can pursue good. We, we're allowed, we're free to pursue grain and wine, spouses and children, uh, jobs and vacations. But as, as John Calvin says, with God's help, with God's help, with his presence in our life, we can be patient when we're deprived, knowing God cares and he is enough. Finally, in verse 8, David comes to rest. In peace, he lies down and he sleeps. His head hits the pillow and he's out. God gives you rest as you listen to his voice and silence unruly ones. David rests knowing that the Lord alone makes him dwell securely. With grain or without. With peace with his enemies or at war with him. It doesn't matter to David. If the Lord is with David, that's enough. If you look at verses 7 through 8, these are prayers for you. These are prayers that God is teaching you. Restful prayers. Prayers of faith and hope, not in the absence of distress and trouble, but in the middle of them. These are probably not prayers that you will be praying when everything in your life is going perfectly. Though, of course, you ought to, you ought to be praying these prayers all the time. But these are rather prayers, ammunition for you, in the middle of your troubles. Through them, you can, you can remind yourself of who God is for you. They are God maturing you and helping you in the life of faith, helping you trust in him and find your rest in him. This psalm, like all psalms, they're not only prayers of David and the psalmist, but they're prayers of Jesus. These are psalms that Jesus himself sang and prayed. And, and the Lord Jesus, we see in the scriptures, like King David, prayed for his enemies. Even from the cross, even in the middle of the most intense trial that a man has ever faced, as Jesus was being ridiculed and insulted and taunted by his enemies, he cried out to God on behalf of his abusers, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. Friends, all of us have failed to trust in God and obey him. All of us have failed to pray prayers of trust and faith like this. We've insulted his goodness. We've denied God's authority. We've sought temporary and outward pleasure at the cost of eternal joy. And yet while we... While you and I were enemies of Jesus, while we were voicing, uh, uh, while we were, we were joining the voices of those insulting and demeaning Jesus, Jesus prayed for us. 
Jesus went to his Father for us. He offered importunate prayers and offensive prayers and restful prayers for us and for our salvation. Jesus Christ conquered the voices of his enemies, not with violence, but with mercy, with his own death, and with his prayers for them. And this is what King Jesus offers now. He offers you rest, one through the cross. He offers enemies, not justice, but mercy. He offers those, those whose sins put him on the cross. He offers them peace and rest. It costs Jesus everything, but it costs you nothing. And so for those of you who believe, or for those of you whom Jesus now, today, through Psalm 4, invites to belief and rest, he offers you, anyone who would come, rest as you listen to his voice and silence unruly ones. Now may God give you that rest as you hear his voice speaking to you by his spirit and as you silence unruly violent voices around you. May you begin to pray importunate prayers. Would you know God with that level of intimacy that you feel, you feel welcomed to bug him because you know his fatherly care? May you begin to pray offensive prayers, talking to yourself, preaching to yourself, defying yourself and the devil instead of simply listening to these voices. And may you pray restful prayers. May you be given the gift of sleep knowing that God's presence with us is what allows us to rest and dwell in safety. Let me pray for us. Our Father, we thank you for your great care for your children. Lord, you do not leave us alone in this life. There are many troubles that we face, but if you are with us, that is enough. Lord, would you, would you give us rest from our enemies, from these voices? And until then, God, would we trust your goodness and your presence? Uh, Lord, please bless Christ Church. Bless these people. Would they mature in their prayers? Would the Psalms serve them uh, as they learn more about who you are and more about themselves? Lord, have mercy. Christ, have mercy on us. We ask that in Christ's name. Amen.